He created the earth in seven days. No, make that six. He took a day off. Scholars valued his wisdom at age 12. His legend precedes him the way lightning precedes thunder. He has more followers than Twitter has accounts. He likes to take long walks on water. He is the most fascinating guy on the planet. Hey, Mountain. How's everybody doing? All right, doing okay? All right. Um, hey, welcome if you're a guest here. Glad you're with us, joining us from whatever campus or online or whatever. Hey, uh, the most uh, fascinating guy on the planet. What a great way to talk about some important things. We started by talking about how Jesus has had such a huge impact on history and still today. Last week, Nathan talked about how Jesus has these like lenses he looks at everyone through, sees them as creatures created in the image of God, and how that allows us to see people that way too. Amazing. We're going to take this whole series and, and it's going to culminate with a big exclamation mark on Easter weekend. It's going to be a huge deal. We're going to talk specifically that day about how Jesus has this fascinating ability to birth hope out of the most unbelievable circumstances. It's going to be a very important message for all of us for a lot of reasons. Here's the deal. Here's the question I hope that you're not asking about Easter. Um, when am I going to be here? Uh, what service am I going to come? What am I going to wear? Uh, am I going to make it? No. Those are all the wrong... If you're a mountain person, those are all the wrong questions, okay? I hope you're not asking those questions. Here's the question you need to be asking if you're a mountain person. How many people am I bringing with me on Easter weekend? That's the question. What are their names and how many am I going to get here? Because, friends, this is going to be so, so important. You know, um, the, the message of hope we have is something that you have friends that need to hear. That, that's the main thing. And... Um, even people who are irreligious get that Easter is kind of an important time, religiously speaking, and there's an openness there. And, um, you know, about 70% of people who don't go to any church say they would if someone invited them. They, they would, it's just someone needs to invite them. And, uh, and we believe if they get here, they're going to maybe be surprised. It's not probably what they thought, and they're going to have an opportunity to meet the most fascinating guy on the planet who will change their life forever. So... Man, but none of that happens if you don't get them here. So who are you going to bring? That's the main question. We were in an elders meeting, and one of the guys just said, you know what, I'm feeling convicted. We're talking about the service and things we're planning and all. And then, and then, and then someone just said, you know what, I'm convicted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to bring 12 people to Easter weekend. All of a sudden, you know, everyone kind of thought about it differently, and the temperature in the room changed. We began to think about friends that we have that need what we have, and... And uh, I just want to challenge you. I, we, we went to the staff, did the same thing. Went to this, my small group, did the same thing. Now I'm doing the same thing on you. I'm throwing it down. Bring 12. And, and that's, that's your encouragement. Think of 12 people that don't go to any church and invite them. Aim high. See what happens. There's a slip in front of you. Some of you already turned them in. We're already praying over these names. Um, there's another one in front of you in the seat back at all of our campuses. Maybe you want to uh, just say, okay, God, I'll, I'll see what happens here. Think about it, pray about it, and maybe take a picture of the one you turn in so that you remember the names and, and uh, over the next couple weeks, see what happens, okay? The most fascinating guy on the planet. I love the, the, the beer commercial guy and, and the whole thing. I like the shtick. I mean, he can, he can start a fire by rubbing two ice cubes together, you know. I just think, uh, you know, he can kill two stones with one bird. You know, he's the most fascinating guy on the planet. He, uh, let, let's see, uh, uh, he once saved David Hasselhoff from drowning. You know, there's all these amazing things. But the, the, the punchline, of course, for us is that 
that guy doesn't have anything on Jesus, who in fact is the most fascinating. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is, of course, um, he's not fictitious. He's not, a, he's not a, a character from a commercial. He's real. And the things about Jesus is that he can share with us so many of the things that make him so fascinating and compelling. Download them into our own lives so they can be true in our own lives as well. And today we're going to talk about something that Jesus does. And he can teach us to do. And when you learn this, and everyone can, it will completely change your life. And it will change the life of people around you as well. So to help kind of get there and demonstrate a little of that, I've got a friend who I want to introduce to you, Rob Seifert. A lot of you know him. Welcome, big Rob Seifert. Come on, Rob. Going to come out here and help us out. How you doing, buddy? All right. So, Rob, you probably know, since we've been friends a long time, come over here, do what I tell you. You probably know, since we've been friends a long time, and I don't know if you all knew, but I was a wrestler in high school, okay? Now, you might have just guessed it looking at the rippling muscles and the sheer physique. No? Yeah, whatever. I have a picture to prove it. Here's me in high school putting a hurt on somebody, right? Uh-huh. That's probably right before he pinned me, but whatever. That was in the newspaper. I, I was a wrestler, so there's a lot of things you can learn from wrestling about life, and we're going to a couple things today. But the main thing about wrestling is you're trying to sort of exert dominance over somebody who's about the same size, and, and then you're trying to put them on the mat and pin them, basically, is what you're trying to do, right? So, like, in wrestling, um, aside from just pinning somebody, there's points for different things. So, like, one is called a takedown. So, we start wrestling like this, okay? So, Rob, it's not boxing, it's wrestling, bud. Okay, open your hands up like that. So, we start wrestling. So, we're kind of, you know, I'm kind of pushing at you, you're kind of pushing at me, right, right, right? Uh-huh, look at this. And then I come in, oh, 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 look at this. Come on, over here. I got, I got a leg. I got a leg. If I got a leg, I got a little control. All I got to do is sweep that leg, boom, you're down, and you're in a world of hurt. Yeah. And that'd be two points takedown right there for me. Now, let's just say we were wrestling, which we wouldn't do. I mean, really, be, it wouldn't be fair with my experience in brawn. Um, someone could get hurt. But let's just say we were wrestling, and again, hypothetically, you took me down. Like that would ever happen. But... If you did, then when we start again, I'm in the down position. Rob, you'd be in the control position. So here's what that looks like. I go down like this. You get on, on, on me and you, you put your elbow. Oh, no, wait a second. Wait, 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 say go. Okay, so when I'm on the bottom, what's Rob trying to do? He's trying to beat me up and he's got this. So you see, he's trying to make my life miserable. It's like, okay, Rob, I think they get it. He's kind of catching on. I think, Rob, it's a sermon illustration, Rob. Rob, Rob, Rob. Okay, so, so, I think, uh, you didn't wrestle in high school, did you? No. Thank goodness. All right. So, mostly, I'm just sitting there. He's got all that weight on me, right? When he's got all that weight on me, what do I need to do? Pray? Somebody said pray. No. No. When he's got, how much do you weigh anyway? 400 pounds? When, when he's got all that weight on me, what do I need to do? I need to get out of here. I need to get out from under. So he's got all that weight on me. So I was actually pretty good at that. Uh, and and what, what I need to do is I need, so first thing I'm going to do, watch this, well, slow motion interrupt. I kind of get to my feet. Uh, he's still got control of me. He's still fighting me. He's kind of, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. But now I get control. Here's the move right here. Oh, I break free. Ta-da, I'm free. All right, and look out. Now I'm going to put a world of hurt on you. That right there, when I get free from all that burden and him on my back, is called an escape. Everybody say escape. escape. And the referee goes like, yeah, escape. 
And then, look, good thing for you, I got a sermon to preach. Otherwise, I'd put you on your back. Punk. All right. Thank you, Rob. Give it up for Rob Seifert. <laughs> Woo! <sighs> I'm kind of embarrassed how winded I am from doing nothing except getting laid on. Um, so here's the deal. When you have all that weight on your back and you're down and below it and you just feel that, it's like making your life miserable. You just need to get out of there. And when you do, it's called an escape. Um, here's the very serious truth about it. Every single one of us has a heavy burden on our back as well. And it comes in so many forms, and there's so many things we could immediately think about. But the two that I'm thinking about today are all the guilt, the weight of shame, the weight of every offense that you've ever committed, any moral or spiritual sin against God is like a weight and a burden on our back that we need and want to be free from. But in addition to that, we've got the, the weight on us of just hurt when someone hurt you. We feel that, don't we? It's like a burden. Someone offended you. Someone stole something from you. Someone broke your heart or disappointed you so deeply you don't know if you'll ever get over it and, and it can, it's just a burden, it's just a weight and we can carry that around it can be like a nasty old wrestler on our back and just makes our life miserable and here's, here's the good news for today is that Jesus is an escape artist and he has come to show us how to get free from both of those kinds of things both the sin that you and I have committed against God which weighs us down, but also the things that others have done to sin against us. And the answer and the release and the escape and the freedom from both of those is, is through the same thing. It's called forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the way we find freedom from that which we have done against God and that's that which others have done against us. As a pastor, I hear about what others have done to us a lot. People say all the time, I, I'm having trouble here. How am I ever going to get over this? After what she did, I don't know how I can forgive. How can I move forward with him? And some of us are thinking maybe right now of some of those situations that are just crushing. They, they feel like the monkey on your back. What do we do? And, of course, the natural thing, there's nothing more natural in the world than to want to get revenge. If someone pushes you, what do you want to do? Push back. Someone punches you, what do you want to do? Punch them back. There's something that feels kind of right and natural about that, doesn't it? It's just like, it's, I don't know, no one taught me that. I just know that. It just feels right. In fact, we love thinking about revenge. In fact, check out this video and tell me if you don't think it feels a little satisfying.
doesn't that just make you feel like something right happened in the universe? Revenge is just so sweet. This is why when Carrie Underwood wrote that, it, raise your hand if you want to admit that you like country music. Go ahead right now. Uh-huh. You know the song I'm talking about. I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. I carved my name into his leather seats, and I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights, and I slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. And everybody in the whole country said, Amen, and they bought the album. We dig that stuff. Feels good, right? Check this out. Someone actually took her advice to heart. You did me wrong and nothing about six pickaxes won't fix, right? You hurt me. I want you to hurt. It's just natural. My parents, they hurt me. They let something happen to me. They didn't provide for me in this way. The kids at my school... My boss, how dare she? After what he said, he didn't pay me back. Those people at that church, that boyfriend, my ex, my son or daughter, whoever it is, your business partner, we feel like if we let them off the hook, it wouldn't be fair. They need to pay, and they need to pay us. And, and yet there's a part of us that probably gets the other truth, the real truth which is that whatever momentary pleasure we might derive from getting even or trying to, it doesn't really resolve anything. It doesn't actually restore anything. It doesn't make anything fixed. It doesn't set anything straight. It doesn't really reconcile anything. Our inner world is not finally at peace. Throwing a pickaxe through someone's car hood doesn't actually leave you waking up the next morning filled with pure joy. It doesn't. We all know it. It is natural. It just doesn't actually get the monkey off our back. It's no real escape. And that's what makes Jesus so fascinating. Is that he comes with a whole new way. Introducing a new way. He called it his kingdom. He says, imagine a world. When he, when he tells his stories of forgiveness, he's saying, imagine a world. Here's the kingdom of God. There's such a place. There's such a people that live by a supernatural way of forgiveness. And that's why he came. To set the captives free. And he addresses both kinds of hurt. We say, well, you hurt me and I want you to hurt. And Jesus says, I want to take the hurt so no one has to hurt. The reason he went to the cross is to take the weight and the burden of that cross on his back so all the monkeys could come off ours. It's a new way and a new path. And he's eager and ready to extend that forgiveness to everyone. You know, before the time of Jesus, God is revealed so many times in Scripture. Psalm 130 says, says this. It says, Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who could ever stand and survive? None of us. But you, God, you offer forgiveness that we might learn to respect and have reverence for you. God offers that. And then Jesus came extending and offering that. The forgiveness to us, and then the forgiveness that comes to us that can flow through us. And the two are connected. Your forgiveness from God and your forgiveness for others are so connected. And that's what Jesus came to do, to help us to escape. It's why he came. When he showed up, John the Baptist, on his first day of ministry, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and says, Hey, look, there is this, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. He went everywhere doing this. Jesus did. Luke chapter 3, verse 3, kind of sums it up. He went into all the country, all around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins. It's why he came. The, the message that you can be forgiven, you can be set free, and you can get the monkey off your back. God of the Old Testament is here in the flesh to set you free. A woman shows up. She's a sinner. Prostitute shows up at a party, but she's weeping and washing Jesus' feet, and he says to her in Luke 7, your sins are forgiven. He does the same for a woman caught in adultery. He does the same for a man whose, whose arm is withered. He does it over and over and over again to other people, and then he went to the cross so that what he said to those individuals could be said to every single person on the planet. And the Bible says it was the sin of those Roman soldiers that put him on the cross. And it was the sin of the religious leaders in his day who put him on the cross. And it was the sin of his own friends and followers who put him on the cross. And it was your sin and my sin that put him on the cross. And he went there to absorb and take that pain and that abuse so that we wouldn't have to suffer under the weight and the burden of unforgiven sin with God and the burden of revenge and anger and hurt and pain of what someone else has done for us. He came to set the captives free. And the Bible promises if you're set free by Jesus, you will be free indeed. And that's why when we share communion, Matthew 26 says, Jesus says, this communion is just like a, it's a reminder. It's, a, it's like a, the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so Colossians 1 says that Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, hallelujah. So, practically, what does this mean in our lives? Well, you know what? We all want to be free. We all want to be happy. We all want to be joyful. Everyone wants to have a sense of contentment and peace, sanity and serenity in their life. Everybody does. And here's the truth I want to tell you. If you want that life, that freedom, that sense of peace and joy, you cannot get there without passing through the door of forgiveness. You just can't. You can't get where you want to go without passing through this door of forgiveness. So here's the deal. What we, what we think we need from God is not always the same thing that a lot of people actually need from God. If I were to ask, what do you want God to do for you? What do you most need? We'd probably get a lot of answers, but it may not be the thing that we actually need the most. If I said, what do you want, what do you want God to do for you? Someone might say, well, I need help with my algebra test. I need to pass my bar exam. I need help with my marriage. I need more income. I need, a, I need a woman. I need a husband. I need, I need a better place to live. I need, problem. I need help with my physical body, I, I, my sickness. I need help with all my problems. And these are things that weigh us down and they're real. But sometimes what we think is the real wrestler on our back is not the real wrestler on our back. So there was a guy in the Bible that, that experienced this and can help us. Um, the book of Mark is like a biography of Jesus' life, right? It's called the Gospel. And in chapter 2, it tells the story of this man who's paralyzed. And we can tell from the text that he's tired of it, as you would be. He's tired of living life from 24 inches off the ground on a mat, looking up at the world passing him by and looking over him. He's tired of the bed sores. He's tired of depending on everyone else to turn him and feed him and bathe him and help him go to the bathroom. 
He's tired of having other people have to carry him anywhere he wants to go. For him, his three-by-six mat is a wrestling mat that has so much weight on top of him and he'll never get up and off of it. But this guy lives in Capernaum and rumor has it that this miracle worker rabbi, most fascinating guy on the planet, is meandering around and coming to Capernaum. And stories on Facebook are flying around that he's been healing people. It's like, ah, here's his lucky moment. Here's his big opportunity. And he's fortunate enough to have some buddies who figure out a way to get him on his mat, carried all the way over to this house where Jesus is showing up. But unfortunately, they get there too late, and it's like uh, uh, sold out. You know, it's completely jam-packed and standing room only. They'll, they can't even get close. They can't even hear or see Jesus. They'll never see this guy. They don't have an appointment. They're never going to get in. The next thing you know, these guys rig up a way to figure out how to get their buddy up on the roof. And so the next thing you know, Jesus is inside teaching with this room packed full of people, and they start seeing stuff kind of fall out of the ceiling, like little dust and then tiles, and then pretty soon the whole bunch starts, whole big hole starts opening up. They look up, and there's dust, and they're lowering this guy like on an Aladdin magic carpet ride right down in front of Jesus. It's like, hello. Can you imagine that? And can you picture this now? So Jesus stops what he's doing. Here's this guy, this paralyzed guy on a mat right in front of him. Everybody stops and says, oh, well, what's going to happen now? And the man has got to be thinking in his head like, this is my moment. I've been on this mat forever. But I'm going to walk out of here today if it's the last thing I do. And Jesus is going to, I'm right here, Jesus. Here I am. Heal me. So you can imagine how confused and probably disappointed Everybody was, especially the man, at what happened next. Because Jesus does speak to the man. But what he says in Mark chapter 2, verse 5 is, Son, your sins are forgiven. And he's like, that's not what I came for. I'm the guy with the legs. Hey, try again. You got the wrong paperwork. I'm the, I'm the paralyzed guy. I don't need my sins forgiven. What I need is, is my legs. He thought he knew what his big problem was. And what Jesus revealed to him is that his real problem was not his paralysis of his legs, but his crippled soul. What we think is our greatest need is often not our greatest need. Your greatest need and my greatest need is exactly what that man's greatest need was, to have our sin forgiven. And that monkey can never come off our back without help from God. And Jesus is offering it freely to every single person who extends their hand to him in faith and asks for it. We need forgiveness and we can't do it for ourselves. It's our greatest need. And that's why Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven. It was the most gracious thing he ever could have done. And so for each of us, that journey can begin by, in this very moment, acknowledging our own need for that same forgiveness. John 1.8 in the Phillips Version says this, 1 John 1.8, If we refuse to admit that we are sinners, then we live in a world of illusion, and the truth becomes a stranger to us. So we just got to admit and confess and come open with the Lord. So many of us are carrying secret shame and sin. It's like we're hiding it from ourselves and everyone else and even God, we think. So many secrets. And this is just saying if we confess our sins, he's faithful. So you got so many secrets. Cheating in school from years ago, maybe. 
breaking our marriage vows, carrying around secret shame about that divorce or its impact on the kids, a sexual encounter that's left its mark on you, an abortion we had or caused, some secret escape we're into or some conversation we keep having on the, at the keyboard, or something about us, our gossip, our self-centered way of living, whatever it is, we carry so much with us, like a wrestler called sin, and it weighs us down, and there is no escape for it on our own, and we know it. And some of us have just come to terms with it, like that's the way we're going to live, paralyzed on our mat with that heavy old weight on us forever. And that's why I am drawn and I hope you will feel drawn like a magnet to the most fascinating guy on the planet, Jesus, who comes and he stands before you and me in this very moment to say what he said to that man on his mat. When you come before Jesus, you can hear these words, your sins are forgiven. I hope you'll have that fresh touch of God's forgiving grace today. To know that every last trace, no remaining residue, can be removed. 1 John 1, 8, 9 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we just deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, stop hiding, and He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's what needs to happen today. You know, in this story, I think there's an interesting thing here. Jesus forgives the man, but I love that he tidies it up and heals him also. I mean, it would still be a bummer of a story to me if he didn't get his leg fixed. Verse 11, Jesus says, oh, and by the way, uh, I'll do the much lesser miracle that you're interested in. Get up your mat and go home. Get up, take your mat and go home. I know that's what you think is most important, but it's window dressing compared to this. To prove and verify that I have the authority to forgive your sin... I'll also fix your legs. Get up and run home with your mat. And Jesus says to you, your sins are forgiven. And to prove and to verify that he has the authority and the ability to do it, he went to a cross, died, and then walked out of a tomb three days later. A much greater miracle than forgiving your sin. We all need that fresh touch of forgiveness because that is what sets us free. When I stand before judgment, God will look and he will see Jesus' righteousness, not my sin. And so to the charge of lust for Ben Kacharis, not guilty. For the charge of lying, not guilty. What's on your account? For the charge of selfishness, for the charge of misleading information, not guilty, not guilty because of Jesus Christ. I hope you experience that fresh touch of forgiveness because the path to freedom, the path you want, the path to peace, the path to life lies on the other side of the door of forgiveness. Now, we have to get on to the other part of this whole matter, which is our forgiveness of others, but we can't get there until we see the connection between God's forgiveness of you, His free offer of grace, and our receiving that. Then we can start to talk about our ability to forgive others. Have you ever noticed in the story how Jesus doesn't say, your sins are forgiven, take that mat and burn it, as a reminder you'll never need it again. He doesn't say, your sins are forgiven, go home. He says, pick up your mat and take it home. I always wonder why. You know, we don't know why, but I wondered, was it so that he would have that mat as a visual reminder of the life that he had before Jesus came into his life? 
Did he take it home and nail it to the wall so he could see it out of the corner of his eye every single day as a reminder of what God had done for him? So the next time one of his buddies ticked him off and he felt like taking his new good leg and kicking him in the rear and said he'd look at that mat and say, oh, after all God's done for me, I don't know how I can. So that he could find an ability to forgive simply because of what he had been experiencing in Christ. Jesus actually told a parable exactly like this. He said, basically, there's a guy who owed $7 trillion. And everyone's like, well, that's a lot, you know. But the guy said, you're free to go. I don't hold you responsible. The debt is forgiven. He's like, woohoo! And then he turns around and a guy owes him seven cents. And he's like wringing his neck. Give me my money! And we look at that guy and we go, what a moron. How despicable. That's not right. And then you realize, oh, wait, that's me. Every time I hold a grudge. That's me every time I refuse to forgive. After all that God has offered and done for me, show me a person who's unwilling or unable to forgive another, and I'll show you a person who is fighting and resisting how much God has loved and forgiven them, how much it has cost Jesus to go to the cross. If we truly let that penetrate our heart, we can't turn to another and withhold forgiveness. So you see how connected they are? Each of us if we've been forgiven by Christ, has a mat hanging on our wall. A mat that is a symbol of our freedom. And so, I invite you to think about the tension and the conflict you're having right now with someone. We all are. The offense, that friend, that scoundrel, that spouse, someone who trusted, you trusted, who hurt you, a business partner, a colleague. And if you were to stand up and plead your case and help us understand how much it hurts, we'd all agree with you. You have every right to be mad. You to, someone will tell you you ought to get back at them. We all get that. But here's the deal. Jesus calls you to forgive. Hmm. And when we fail to do so, we think what we're doing is keeping that person on the mat. But it turns out we're just keeping ourselves on the mat with that anger and hurt and bitterness piling on our own backs. So Jesus forgives you. He offers forgiveness to set you free so that you can set others free. See how it works? Imagine a world where people receive forgiveness and were set free and then turned and offered that to others. That's the world of Jesus. That's why he's the most fascinating guy in the world. It's just that so many of us are afraid to live this way that we don't. We think going to church makes us a Christian. No, this is what makes you a Christian, living like Christ. Saying, I really am set free. And now it changes the way I really want to put a pickaxe through your forehead. I mean your car. That's what makes you a believer and a follower for Christ. The next time you're hurting, the thing to think about is not what that person has done to you, but to think about what Jesus has done for you. And that will help right your heart in the right direction. And let you start taking those steps. You will never be asked to forgive someone as much as God has forgiven you. Never. But forgiveness, remember, is not true escape. It's not real freedom until you use that freedom to free others. And then you know you've got it. And people will see you and go, that's one fascinating girl. That's one fascinating guy. How do they do that? That's what they said about Hector Black. Hector Black is a devout Christian man. He and his wife lived in Atlanta in the inner city. And they adopted a daughter. And uh, 
one night their house was broken into and the daughter stumbled into the home while it was taking place and the perpetrator who was robbing the house was high on drugs and he ended up taking advantage of her and then killing her. An unspeakable atrocity. And Hector's first reaction, he said, was shock and horror and then he just wanted to kill the man. The man was apprehended and tried in a court of law and found guilty on several crimes, obviously, against Hector's family. A little bit of time passed, and the sentencing came, and there were so many people there gathered, friends and family who had lost so much. And they had opportunity to say things to this man, both in and outside the courtroom, and they, they thought about what they would say, and you could tell it was the deep pain and the anger that was talking. Many of them said things like, I hope you never have a moment of peace for the rest of your life. Someone said, I hope someone takes something from you that you love so you'll feel this pain. Today, justice is being served, but not fully. I hope you rot in prison. Things like that. And you can kind of understand the depth of their pain. That's how we are sometimes, isn't it? Anger and hurt get inside of us, and it bubbles and boils like a cauldron. It comes out in words and anger we hope is going to set things right. That it would somehow alleviate our pain and bring justice, make us feel better. And that's what they were doing because they'd lost their little girl. Hector Black also had an opportunity to speak, and when it was his turn, he produced a piece of paper from his pocket. He had prepared a statement, and he read it directly to the man who committed the crime. And in that statement, one of the things he said is, I don't hate you. I hate what you've done, and I hate what's happened to my daughter. But I don't hate you, and ultimately he said in the letter, I forgive you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I forgive you, and I wish, I hope that you will find God's peace, he said. Wow. And the man who murdered his daughter sat there dumbfounded and speechless, tears in his eyes, a hush in the courtroom. Because something fascinating was happening. That very night, Hector couldn't sleep. He gets out of his bed. He feels God's telling him to write a letter to this man. He writes a letter, sends it. They begin a correspondence. He takes him, and this man, he is so wanting part of him to demonize, he instead humanizes him and sees him as a creature of God. They begin a relationship, and they talk back and forth by mail for some time. That Christmas, he and his wife send the man a Christmas gift. They're like, what are we, nuts? But they felt led by God to do it. And eventually, after some time and a lot more correspondence, he and his wife visit that man who killed his daughter in jail. And they have a cordial conversation, and he begins, he says, something changed in both of us. I began to find myself wishing him well. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. I think this is why. And he felt like something was healing inside of him, and I, he believes that something was healing inside of the other man as well. By contrast, Hector and his wife participated in a support group for people who had uh, traumatic things happen in their life, uh, crime and so forth, in their life or the life of someone they love. And there was a, a woman in that, in that support group whose brother had something terrible happen to him, and she was torn up about it. It had just dominated her thoughts and soured all of her relationships, affected her living so much she could barely function. She'd almost lost her job. She was filled with bitterness and anger and sadness. And she attributed all of that to the perpetrator as well and was so angry at him. And you not only ruined my brother's life, 
You're ruining mine. And after group, Hector asked her how long ago this had happened. She said 16 years. 16 years. It's a long time to have a wrestler on your back. Hector said, that's no way to live. Friend, I don't, know, I don't care who you are. Someone's going to hurt you. Already have. It's going to feel like that wrestler on your back. It's going to get worse and worse. And you may wonder if there's any way to get free. And I'm just telling you, the only way to get free is through the door of forgiveness. It's the only way. Time isn't going to solve it. When we choose not to forgive, it's not just that it's disobedience and we're being bad Christians. Someone said it's like drinking rat poison and hoping that the rat dies. You're the one that rots out from the inside. And this true story of Hector Black helps us to imagine a world that's created by forgiveness. It's a different world. Look how different Hector and that man are. It also invites us when we see the woman to imagine a world of unforgiveness and what it does to her. Which world do you live in? Which world do you want to live in? And Jesus invites you through the door of forgiveness to a place where you get the monkey off your back. That which you have done against God and that which others have done against you, you can be free. Escape. Pass through the door of forgiveness. In fact, in the Bible, you know one of the words for forgiveness literally means let it go. You get let go as you let it go. Do you think it's time for some of us? Ephesians 4, verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. The best part is when you forgive someone, you set two prisoners free. The other person and yourself. I love that quote by that guy, Dr. S.I. McMillan, who wrote a book, and he showed that the two greatest causes of our guilt and resentment, excuse me, the two greatest causes of our physical pain in life is guilt and resentment. Did you know that? Isn't that weird? I love this quote. He says, it's not so much what you eat. Talking about your health. It's not so much what you eat, it's what eats you. So, Jesus invites you through the door of forgiveness. Remember, a couple things about forgiveness. One, it's not the same as forgetting. It's not the same as pretending it didn't happen. It's not the same as saying, oh, it doesn't hurt, or never mind, or minimizing it, or saying it wasn't hurtful. It's not the same as excusing behavior. It's not the same as trying to have someone avoid the consequences of their actions. It's not the same as any of that. You say, this is what happened. It hurt. It's real. You owe me, and I am releasing you from that debt. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not the same as feeling something. Don't wait till you feel like forgiving or you'll never forgive. Jesus didn't go to the cross to forgive us because it felt so darn good. He did it because it's what love requires. And love and forgiveness are part of the same decision, an act of the will, to do this thing that will set us all free. So decide to do it in an act of the will. The person doesn't have to ask for it. They don't have to be sorry. They don't have to repent. They don't have to initiate it. They don't have to grovel. They don't even have to be alive. 
All that's an important stuff that can happen, but that's a different conversation. The most important thing is that we do what Jesus did. While we were still not even asking for it, he made the first move. And so you can set yourself free through forgiveness. Colossians 3.15. Friends, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule. Something's ruling in your heart. Let it be the peace of Christ that comes on the other side of the doorway of forgiveness. So as we close, I just invite you to make this a very real, important spiritual moment for you. If, you'll, if you would feel comfortable bowing your head, and if you would like, you may open your hands and put them palms up toward the ceiling, maybe down your lap or up in the air if you want to do that as a symbol of your readiness to give to God every last trace of sinful residue in your life so that he might say over you these words, your sins are forgiven because of what I have done on the cross. As you offer him your sin, may you hear those words and receive in this moment a fresh outpouring of his grace. Friend, hear these words over you. Your sins. Your sins are forgiven. And then as you consider that, may you also call to mind maybe the name of one who has hurt you. Or an offense from today, yesterday, or 16 years ago that is still on your back. And decide to wish them well and pray for your enemy. You don't even have to tell them. Or you might choose to text them in this very moment. You've been set free, so set someone else free. And in the process, you'll set yourself free again. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.